Well, hello. Today, I have a sermon that I think to you is going to be life-changing. Ah, that's my hope and prayer, and boy, have I been praying about this. I'm, I'm really hoping this can be something that vitally influences your life in a very practical way about what church is, about what your life is, about who Christ is, or about the Holy Spirit. So, before I go there, i got to make a couple of announcements. This is our first weekend without Nick Simpson. Pastor Nick was running all our tech stuff, and, and he's just like a genius in that area. And God called him to Ridgeway Alliance Church up in New York. Now, I know about Ridgeway. It's a great church, and it's growing, and it's really in need of someone like Nick to do some of the expertise that he did here. And over the last several weeks or months, uh, God's been talking to him about it, and they've been talking to him about it. And since his son moved up there in that area anyhow to go to college, he felt like the timing was perfect, so he moved. And God is going to use us here too. We have lots of volunteers now running things. They're doing an excellent job, and I want you to pray about that whole thing. I'm going to pray about it in a minute. Second thing I want to talk with you about is the Beyond Initiative that we started way back last winter. And if you remember, the COVID virus hit us like a truck, and we had to just stop it. And we said, we're going to revisit this in the fall. Well, it is the fall. So let me give you a game plan of where we're going. With the Beyond Initiative, we have some exciting things coming this fall. I can't tell you about it now, but I'm sure this is going to be exciting to you like it is to me. Then in the winter, we're going to probably start to get probably November is when we'll hit it because it's, it's kind of really vital for us to get clarity and a track to run on of what God's calling us to do. And I hope you see it that way. I've had different people talking to me about it and confused. And yeah, I'm kind of confused too, because if we don't have people in church, it's hard to talk about it. So we're hoping that by February, we can have people in the building long enough to be able to do this. So through the month of February, you'll be hearing more about that. And I'm encouraging you to pray about that too. So I'd like to pray with you right now. I'd like to pray about the message. I'd like to pray about Nick. And I'd like to pray about the Beyond, the Beyond Initiative. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for what you've done in this church. Thank you for what I believe you're going to do. <laughs> We're at a very, very, very exciting moment when we get to rethink church, re-believe, re-understand, re-initiate, re and go at it again. And I pray your Holy Spirit would really anoint this message and anoint this time in this church right now as we move ahead. I pray for Nick Simpson. As he's up there at Ridgeway, which is a dynamic church, a growing church, and they need him so bad. And I pray you'll bless him there and use him there. Also, Lord, I thirdly, I want to pray for, for this whole initiative we started beyond. So many things you put into place at last winter, and then we had to just shut it down. We were like confused of what you're doing. But I believe you have a better plan for us, and you're going to do that through this fall and even this winter when we when we reignite and rethink about where we are as a church and where we need to go. I pray, dear God, for your anointing upon us. So I come before you right now with everybody listening and ask, dear Holy Spirit, dear God, dear Father in heaven, dear, dear Jesus Christ, teach us, lead us now, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're all waiting for church to start, aren't we? I mean, in some ways it's already going, but to really start like it used to be meeting in the building. And I think it's a very strategic time for all of us to rethink church. I think this is happening around the world. And it's kind of exciting because it's now that we realize, and maybe more than ever before, church is not just a group of people. I mean, that's, that's how the pagan world sees us. We're just here for political reasons or uh, instructive reasons or religious reasons. They don't understand. 
It's not a group of people. It's a group of people with God. It's the Holy Spirit that started the church. And we're starting a series of sermons on the book of Acts right now. And we're, we're, we're really going to try and zero in on what the, uh, what church is. And church is basically the Spirit of God coming upon people is how it starts. I'm going to go through that with you today. Now, we've gone through the whole Gospel of John. Remember, we, the last several weeks, been through the whole Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is called the Gospel of Belief. That's what it means, believing. And the, it, whether it's John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He's saying, you can know for sure you're going to heaven. Or I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me, Jesus said. And all these different things, the Gospel of Belief. But right in the middle, of the Gospel of Belief, chapter 14, 15, and 16 of the Gospel of John, he says, but you'll need more than belief to be the church. You need more than belief to do what I've called you to do. You need more than belief to truly be a child of God. You'll need the Holy Spirit. That's what he calls the helper in John 14, 15, and 16. In other words, we're going to need more than to know we're going to heaven and know we're saved. We're going to need to experience our salvation. That's what Jesus was trying to tell the disciples. Guys, okay, now that you believe in me, you're going to need to have this helper come, and the helper is going to help you start the church. You know, um, maybe you already recognize you need help. Yeah, you're, you're a Christian, all right? You, you know you know the gospel. You understand the truth. You've accepted Christ your Savior and Lord, but you, you get very frustrated. You get very angry, maybe even revengeful. That happens to Christians. Or, or you feel worried or afraid, especially with the COVID virus and what's going on. You're afraid. Fear seems to be like a cloud over, over America right now. Or you, you still get overcome with wanting, with desiring, even lust or greed. Or, or you're a Christian, but you still find a meaninglessness and a purposelessness to your life. Do you know all of those are symptoms of our need for the helper? Yeah, that's what Jesus was talking about when he told the disciples, you're going to need the helper. The helper is going to come to help you in every one of those areas, personally, in every one of those areas as a church. That's what God's trying to do. Um, you know, we talk like we believe, but it's the experience of the believing that's so important. And I want to challenge you as you, as you come back to church, you want to come back to a place where you can experience God. And that's going to take the Holy Spirit. How do we do it? Um, is it by trying harder? Is it by believing more? Is it by doing more? I would say to you, no. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he has to come upon us. And, and the key to having that is waiting. I mean, think about it. Just think about this. The 12 disciples who were personally taught and mentored by Jesus Christ himself saw miracles, even performed miracles themselves, uh, heard the best teaching you could possibly ever hear. They themselves were not prepared to start the church, according to Jesus. And as you'll see here, he tells them what you're going to have to do to start the church is um, you're going to have to wait. What? Doesn't that seem counterintuitive? Wait? Wait? That's how we do it? Wait? Yes. Because only God can do this. Only the Spirit of God can do this. I put it down, what's called the big idea of this sermon is called, Church is all about waiting on the Holy Spirit. The whole book of Acts, which we're starting today, is all about how the Holy Spirit worked in the lives of the first believers to really become church. It's the same for you. It's the same for me. It's the same for us as a church. We need to wait upon the Holy Spirit. And that's what I believe we're being instructed to do right now 
as a church in America, as a church in this world right now, I believe we need to wait on the Spirit of God. The key is waiting. And the worst thing we could do would be to not wait. Waiting means we need to submit to Him. Waiting needs we, we follow means we follow His timing. Waiting means we yield to His timing and His ways. Waiting means we give up our will and we surrender to His. That's what waiting means. I'll tell you more about that as we go further. I believe this is what's missing in the American church, what's missing in many churches across the world. The inability to wait upon the Spirit of God. So I'd like to go through Acts just chapter 1, maybe just the first 11 verses or so, 12 verses, uh, 10 verses, whatever it is. Let's go through the beginning of this and see how Jesus said it to the disciples and what we can learn. Point 1 reads like this. Wait for what's promised. You see, sometimes we read a passage, we see something like this, and we think that was just back then. And we forget these promises still apply to us in many ways. So the first thing you need to learn to do, and I need to learn to do, especially us now trying to think of redoing church, is like, well, we got to wait on the Lord. Let me read it with you. Acts 1, starting with the verses 1 through 5. If you have your Bibles, turn to it. Acts 1, 1 through 5. Let's read that first. In the first book, O Theophilus, now this is Dr. Luke, the guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke speaking. So he's one of the followers of Christ, and he's writing to a man named Theophilus, and when he refers to his first book, he's talking about the Gospel of Luke. So in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them, after his suffering, by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. There's that word. He said, I want you to wait right there in Jerusalem for for the promise, there it is, of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That's the promise. He said, I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, the helper, is going to come upon you. Listen, if you need help, you need the Spirit of God. And the only way you get the Spirit of God, Jesus says, is you wait. You wait upon him. Um, I think Jesus did this because he knew. Uh, he knew they, they were not equipped to face the opposition they were going to face. Probably just like us. Probably just like you, whether it be in your marriage or it be at school or be with friends or be with loved ones or conflicts or difficulties or diseases or problems. He knows. He knows we're not equipped to deal with it. We need the Spirit of God. He also knew that they couldn't plan good enough. We try and plan our lives. And right now, the coronavirus is so obvious you can't plan good enough. No, we can't even plan having church good enough. Only God can do that. We couldn't keep unified. So much disunity right now in America. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? So much hatred, so much anger, so much finger pointing. What's that from? Lack of the Holy Spirit. It's just people being people, sinful people being sinful people, and even Christians falling into sinful patterns. He knew that these disciples could not change other people like they had been changed, that only the Holy Spirit of God could do that. It's the same for you and I. It's the same situation they were in. It's the same situation we were in. And it's been that way so many different times. Like way back in the book of Genesis, it was this way, right? 
told Noah, Noah, I want you to build an ark and then wait for rain. And Noah built and built by waiting and waiting and then got it up and then waited and waited and waited for the rain to come. Abraham, Abraham, you're going to be used to bless all the nations of the earth. I'm going to give you a son. You're going to give me a son. He didn't have a son. He didn't have a son. He didn't have a son. Not till he, he and his wife were really old. He had to wait. Or we could talk about Joseph. How about Joseph? In, also in the book of Genesis. Remember, his brothers sold him into slavery. He had to wait while he's in slavery. He had to wait while he is um, in prison. He had, he had to wait until God raised him up. But his waiting is what he did. Moses, how about Moses? We could talk about Moses. Moses, God said, you're not ready to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. I'm going to send you away to Midian to, to wait. And he had to wait 40 years. So waiting is not a new game plan for God when he starts the church. I could go on and on through the Bible. Through I just did some stuff in Genesis and Exodus. You could go further and further and further. And you'll see waiting is part of God's plan all the time for the human race. And it's God's plan for you. It's, it's, it's a departing from yourself and a yielding to him and his spirit to empower you. So he's making it come home clearly here, I think, to the disciples and hopefully to you and me. And notice he calls it at the end. What you're waiting for? What, what is it we're waiting for? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He says here, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Baptized. Baptized, the word baptizo in Greek literally means put into or immerse, which is what we do with water baptism. But he's not talking about water baptism. He's talking about spirit baptism. So he's saying the Spirit of God's going to come upon you and immerse you. In fact, when you see this fulfilled in the next chapter, in other words, what he says here about being baptized in the Holy Spirit actually comes true in chapter 2, verse 4. So turn your Bibles. Chapter 2, verse 4 reads like this. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Scripture, as the Spirit, uh, excuse me, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay. Here he calls it being filled with the Holy Spirit, but he prophesied about it being called the baptism. I think it's because he's using a simultaneous uh, similar terms to talk about the Holy Spirit coming upon people. The word filled is a repeated experience. In other words, we see filling over and over again in, in, in the book of Acts. And we see it talked about by the Apostle Paul that way too, that it's a, a repeated experience. So let me just conclude by this. You know, here's the point. Whether you're a Christian for a long time you're not a Christian or you've just become a Christian. In every case, what you need is a filling of the Holy Spirit. You need a, a self-emptying and a realization that you need His enabling, His power to do it. Because he, he says that here, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We're gonna, we're gonna experience this only from Him. Um, I've been a Christian for 50 years. I've been a pastor for 40. And, um, I've studied this a lot. I've read about the Holy Spirit a lot. I've seen this term of baptism and even the term of filling mistranslated, misunderstood, misapplied in many ways by people seeking sensationalism, emotionalism, all kinds of craziness. Maybe that's what you've seen too. But please don't be turned off. Please recognize you need the Spirit of God. Maybe some have misinterpreted or even misused it. But that doesn't mean it's not real. It's very real. And you need to wait upon it if you've, if this hasn't happened to you in some way, shape, or form. When I was 18 years old is when I became a Christian. And I remember the night 
when I got on my knees and put my elbows on my bed and asked Jesus to come into my heart, and there was a filling, there was a baptism of the Spirit that happened to me there. Yeah, there was. The filling means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, and that control seemed to take me over. And then I had like repeated fillings, and I have ever since then, hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of times. Where, where I come to a point where I realize I need a new touch from the Lord. I, I, I'm full of something else, not full of the Spirit, and I yield to Him again. If that's where you're at today, that's great. That's, I think, where the church is at right now. We need a refilling. We need an anointing. We need a touch from the Lord. Yeah, I, I know I was filled with the Spirit. Maybe you do too, because I, I had changed desires. <laughs> I wanted to read the Bible. I never wanted to before. I wanted to be with Christians. Never wanted to before. I, wa I wanted to tell other people what had happened to me. I wanted to think about the Lord. I wanted to pray. Those things didn't happen before. New desires came into me. I can only equate that to the Holy Spirit coming upon me, baptizing me, filling me with His Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is often talked about in, in the writings of Paul as a one-time experience, as putting us into the body of Christ. Yeah, that's what's happening here. We're being put into the body of Christ is what Jesus is promising the disciples. But he's also referring to filling that happens to us when we yield to him. Love came over me. In the book of Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says, And the love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. Have you ever experienced that? Boy, I have. I mean, from almost the beginning of my conversion. I all of a sudden cared. I thought more. I was such a self-absorbed self uh, teenager. And, and here's God got a hold of my heart and gave me concern and care and compassion and love for people even that I didn't like. How did that happen? That was the Holy Spirit. Have you experienced that? Or boldness. One of the marks of the filling of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts is boldness, boldness. Yeah, I was bold to witness. I was bold to tell other people about Christ. I'd never experienced that before in my life. That was the Holy Spirit. Or discipline. Oh, man, I was such an undisciplined kid, which is why I didn't do well in sports, which is why I didn't do well in school. I just didn't have the discipline. And all of a sudden now, I wanted to discipline, and that's gone more and more into my life about different things, as God's taught me and led me and filled me and filled me and filled me again. My big question to you right now is this. Has that happened to you? Have, have you had the changes in your life and your heart like I've experienced? Is it something you can't explain? Yeah, these new desires, these new drives, these new wantings, this, this victory, this discipline. Have you seen that? In fact, preachers of old used to call it the victorious life. Yeah, there's a sense of victory that's not yours. You didn't do it. God did it in you. I, I really believe we're at a time in history when that's needed really bad. And I don't know if you understand, but that's what Jesus is saying church is all about. So much so he tells the disciples who had been trained and trained and trained and trained, saying, you're not ready, you're not ready. Got to wait. Got to wait on the Holy Spirit. It's And he promises it right here. Did you see that promise? He's promising that to the disciples, well, that promise is for you. That promise is for me. That promise is for us in the church right now. It still applies. Wait on his spirit to, to guide us, to direct us, to lead us, to baptize us, to change us from the inside out. You know, I was just thinking yesterday, <clears throat> 40 years ago, 40 years ago, Fellowship Alliance Chapel did not exist. It, there wasn't such a church. And God called Lori and I here. We moved into our house in the neighborhood we still live in. And 40 years ago today, so Saturday, we went around banging on the doors, knocking on the doors of people. 
talking to them, about inviting them to our church, telling them we're starting a new church. I mean, there was people that started coming to our church from Catholic backgrounds, Baptist background, non-church backgrounds, all kinds of different things, people involved, even some people that have been involved in cults, all kinds of things. People that were believers, people that weren't believers. I, I think of people that have been dramatically changed in our church and first started coming, like, like the families called the Laundress family, the Chester family, Sirens, the Myers, Fran Walker and her family. So many people that are dear to my heart because I remember how God used them. But the diversity of their backgrounds. We even had people there. We had one little girl who's, who's all four years old and she had to go to Deborah Hospital. Uh, to get a heart surgery. And I remember the church gathering around and praying for her. I remember, I remember one family, well, more than one actually, a troubled marriage. And I remember some that had problems with children and, and some people that had problems with addiction. Well, how in the world did we become a church? How in the world do we come a, become a community of people? Just by Jesus' promise that the Holy Spirit would come upon us. The Holy Spirit united us. The Holy Spirit changed people's lives. The Holy Spirit made us into a church. And it's the same today. Church can't be restarted. Church can't go again without the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we're just playing some kind of social game. We're looking at the church like a pagan would look at the church as a gathering of people. It's not a gathering of people. It's a gathering of people with God's Spirit upon them. And that's what probably needs to happen to Fellowship Alliance Chapel again. That's probably what needs to happen to you again. You need to ask God, God, I'm going to wait. And I'm going to do that at the end of the sermon. God, I'm going to wait for your spirit to come upon me. I need that kind of touch from the Lord, that kind of change. What God did in that early church where we started in our house was fantastic. What God does here in the New Testament in the book of Acts is absolutely tremendous. And the promise he gives of his spirit coming upon you still applies today. Secondly, I want the second thing I want to show you is this. After we understand that the Spirit coming upon us is a real thing that happens, we need to wait for the Spirit's power. That's what he goes on to tell these disciples after he's saying, okay, can you wait for the, the Helper to come? Can you wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Then he says this, ready? So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Let's stop right there. The disciples were literally asking the wrong question at the wrong time. They're asking Jesus, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom? Is now the time you're going to put the Romans down and take over and start your kingdom? Is now? And he's, he's going, guys. It's, I don't know if you see it here. He's rebuking him. He's rebuking him. And maybe some of us need this rebuke. We're asking the wrong questions. Whether it's about the coronavirus and when that's going to end or the pandemic's going to be over. Uh, is this sign of the end times? I hear people talking like that. That's important. But it, is that the question we should be asking right now? When's the vaccine coming? What about the money market? How about our culture? All the stuff that's going on, all the oppositions. He's like, wait, 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 back it up. You're asking the wrong question. It's not for you to know times or epics. God's at work here. You're focusing on people again. You're focusing on problems again. You're not focusing on the Lord. And what's the focus supposed to be? Next verse, verse 8. Look what he says. But you will receive power. So in contrast to fixing, fixating on those questions, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
Did you catch that? He's saying the power of the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you, you, you will be witnesses. In other words, you're just going to testify. God's changed me. God's doing something in me. Look what the Lord is doing to, to change my life and, and to save my soul. It's like, he says, it's going to start in Jerusalem. Then it'll go to Judea, which is a bigger area. And then it'll go to Samaria, which is bigger yet. And then it's go to the end of the earth. He's setting the vision. Jesus is vision casting here, telling them, my vision is to work through you when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's when you'll have the power to do it. Problem is sometimes we try and do it in our own power. And I guess to tell you the truth, that's what I'm a little afraid of. That we as a church might try and do that. That you as a person might try and do that. That we as a nation of churches or the worldwide church will try and do that and create something man-made. It's almost as though Jesus is saying, guys, guys, you're asking the questions. Don't waste your life. And I believe God's saying to the, that to us right now in this passage. Don't waste your life on the wrong questions. There's a bigger purpose, a bigger meaning to your life. You're to be witnesses of what God, the Almighty, is doing. Who, who will someday be the judge over everything that's ever been done. So answer to God. Look to God for the, new, the purpose in your life. Not just a worldly purpose, a temporal purpose, but an eternal one. So it's a bigger plan. Don't, don't settle for less. Look what he goes on to say. Look at verses 9 through 11, the end of it. He says, and, and when they had said these things, when he had said these things, <clears throat> as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Wow. And while they were gazing into the heaven, as he went, behold, two men, stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. <laughs> Boy, that's quite a day they had there, isn't it? I mean, think about that. You just heard Jesus Christ's last words on earth. You just heard him promise you the Holy Spirit's coming and there's going to be a powerful thing that happens to you that's going to give you power to change the whole world. And then you watch him go up, literally rise off the earth and go up in the clouds. Then two men, angels we suspect, stand next to him saying, what are you doing gazing at the clouds? Jesus is going to come back in the clouds in the same way he came. That's quite a day. and You talk about life changing. And that wasn't even the Spirit coming upon him yet. It was just the instruction. It was just the clarity of what can happen when God's in charge of your life, when God takes care of his church and guides them and helps them. So I think this is a pretty exciting passage. And the point is, wait. Wait on God. Because even when he comes to this, Jesus is going to come back in the same way. What does he tell him to do? Well, you're going to have to wait for Jesus to come back. In the meantime, though, do what you're called to do. Be a witness for Christ. This is who you are now. This is your new identity. This is what the first Christians understood. This is what you and I need to understand. This really need to understand this. You know, um, as I've gone through looking at different books, as I've studied about this and read about this in, in church history as well as in the Bible, there's one author that stands out very clearly in this area, and his name is A.B. Simpson. He just happens to be the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, a group we're a part of. And years ago, A.B. Simpson wrote these words I wanted to read to you about waiting. And they're powerful words, and I think 
extremely applicable to Acts chapter 1 and extremely applicable to your life right now and to our church right now. Let me read you what he says. He says, you know, this idea of waiting is not just waiting for the Lord. It is waiting on the Lord. God uses seasons of waiting to mark great transitions in our lives, epics of spiritual new departures when we are led to new planes and new advances. I believe that's what God's up to now, just like he's up to then, new advances, a revival even, but new planes that he wants us to reach. Sometimes it's very desirable that there should be a complete break to get us out of the old ruts that we may become free to take a higher place and make a bolder advance. Boy, if that's not exactly what happened in the book of Acts and exactly what needs to happen to you and me right now, we need to more than ever be the church, like the book of Acts. As with the disciples who had to wait before Pentecost, which is what chapter two is about, the greatest danger for them was not in what they might fail to do, but in what they might try to do. And I think it's the same danger for you and I. We could try and do church again and make it about preaching, about music, or about our facility, or about our groups. and Whether it's indoors, outdoors, church has always been about one thing, the Spirit of God coming upon the people of God. He goes on to say that the greatest harm that we can do is to attempt to do anything at all when we're not prepared and when we do not understand the Master's will. Now they, referring to the disciples, they waited for days and they learned to silently wait on the Lord. They formed the habit of suspension of their own activity. Catch this. They formed a new habit of suspension of their own activity and the dependence of their own will entirely upon the direction of the Holy Spirit. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Is that not what's happening in the coronavirus? Suspension of our own activity? Yeah, we were forced into it. And he's saying, that's a huge advantage. Because now you're waiting on the Lord, realizing you can't, but he can. I believe that's where we're at as a church. I believe that's where many of us are at individually. There are times when the most masterly thing we can do is exercise complete inactivity and wait upon the Lord. There are times when the most mischievous thing we can do is to do anything at all. I think A.B. Simpson was absolutely correct. We need to wait on the Lord. We see it in this passage over and over again. He tells the disciples, wait. This is what you and I need to learn to do, is to wait upon the Lord. Um, I'm reminded when I read this of uh, D.L. Moody, when I think, well, uh, how do you do this waiting thing? There's something about silence. There's something about inactivity. There's something about waiting, which helps us deal with things of our soul that don't, uh, often come up. They're pushed down by all our activity and our running around. Now, without that happening, I, I think God's trying to awaken us to what he can do in our life and what he needs to do. I'm reminded of D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist. He used to say, you can't fill something if it's not empty. If it's already full of something, you, you need to, to get that empty so you can refill it. For many of us, that's what happens. We're so full of things in our life that we're doing and activities we're involved in. And I think what Jesus is trying to help the disciples do is just stop. Just stop everything and turn to me. 
I think of 1 John 1, 9. In fact, D.L. Moody used to use it where he says, well, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In the waiting period, God's calling us to right now as a church. God's calling you to as an individual. It's this. Wait upon the Lord and say, Lord, is there something I need to see? Is there is there a lust or a pride I need to confess? Is, is there a jealousy or an envious, an envious spirit in me? Is there a contentiousness or a, 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 a even a wicked thought that keeps coming through my mind? Is there an addictive problem? Whatever it be, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In our waiting, I believe God can talk to you like never before. I believe God can fill you like never before. So I challenge you to wait upon God. Not just wait, but he says, wait upon the Lord. Um, and I'd like you to do it like this. Let's, let's use imagery. Let, let's use my two hands, your two hands. If, if you have your hands there, right there, where you're in your living room, or you're watching this on your, on your iPad, or you're looking at it on your computer, whatever it be, just take your two hands, your left hand, your right. Let's say this hand here is the Lord. And this hand here is you. Now we were just told by Jesus Christ himself, wait. The disciples were told, wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. I'm saying to you, our church needs to have this waiting period and we need to wait. Next week, I'll tell you more and more in chapter two about the filling of the Holy Spirit. There'll be more instruction. We'll learn more. But right now, what you need to do is wait upon the Lord. So I'm asking you, could you take the Lord and you and say, Lord, right now, and fold your hands with me, fold your hands. Use this imagery of God coming upon you by the power of his spirit and say, Lord, that's what I need. Let's pray. Lord, I'm asking that these hands would represent in our own hearts and minds what's really taking place. You coming upon us and us waiting upon you. Lord, that's what needs to happen here. That's what needs to happen across the world right now. As the church reopens, we need to make sure we're not doing it ourselves. It's not a man-run thing. It's a God-run thing. Lord, this is not about us. This is not about me. This is about your Holy Spirit. Lord, more than ever, it seems so clear to me that we as a church at Fellowship Alliance need to learn to wait upon the Lord. I believe that's the, the, the whole key to the future of this church, waiting upon the Lord. And so right now, as a group, and I hope you as an individual are saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to wait upon you. Show me if there's sin in my life I need to confess. Something I'm full of that needs to be emptied. I can confess it and then call upon you to fill me. What is it, Lord? What is it? For each person here, I ask, what is it? Is it a stubbornness? Is it a pride? Is it a jealousy? Is it a fear? Is it, is, what is it, Lord, that holds me back from being filled with your spirit? I'm sure I'm praying with people here. Who, who don't have your filling. And I pray that they would have that new touch. Whether they've been a Christian for years or they haven't even become a Christian yet or they're just a new Christian, doesn't matter what stage you're at. You need to be filled, all of us. So Lord, we call upon you. Fill us with your spirit. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.